when you feel like the the ground could fall out from you at any given moment, then you have all sorts of gratitude for the fact that the ground is there, period. Hello there, and welcome to This Is My Family, a podcast about building a life with the people you love. I'm your host, Tyler Green, and I'm so glad that you're here. This is a show where I get to ask fascinating people some pretty nosy questions about how we make our families and how those families actually end up making us. In each episode, I talk to someone who can inspire us to think about family in more inclusive and open-minded ways. In this episode, I'm talking to Craig Manoa. His band, Cloud Cult, makes some of my favorite music ever. I've seen them in concert many, many, many times in every imaginable venue, from rinky-dink bars all the way to huge concert hall stages. Their music is mystical and spiritual and just makes me feel really good. And as a super fan of the band, I knew that Craig and his family went through something very tragic, something that's impossible to talk about or really even think about. Almost 20 years ago, Craig and his wife woke up one morning to find that their two-year-old son, Caden, their only child at the time, had died in his sleep without warning. Working through that intense loss and grief changed Craig's life, of course, and it changed his music. And as we turn the corner on this pandemic year that's been so full of grief for so many people in so many ways, I wanted to talk to him, one of my heroes, about what he's learned from living through loss. He was on his family's farm when we talked. That's where he's been riding out the pandemic with his wife, Connie, and their three children. Well, first off, it's not a, con- a, a, a commercial farm. You should say that early on. We, we moved out here with the intention of uh, raising the kids in a way where they could be close to the land and learn some old school techniques of growing food and canning food and raising chickens and, and that type of thing. So we're really, uh, as far as the setting for where we're at, we're out in the boonies in the driftless region of Wisconsin. So it's not flat like a lot of the Midwest. It's, it's very, very, uh, hilly and deeply wooded. And we're nestled in a spot where right prior to the pandemic, there was really very little uh, internet connection or cellular connection out here. And mm-hmm. it just out of synchronicity and pure luck, they laid fiber optic on the wow. road not too far from us right before everything shut down. So we've been beautifully connected to the world in a very <laughs> lucky and fortunate way. Would have been an even more different universe then, huh? Right. No yeah. Internet. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, so we've got... Um, We've got a three-year-old Haven, we have a nine-year-old Iris, and an 11-year-old Nova, and um, given the pandemic, they're all homeschooling right now. I have a home uh, recording studio, and that's where I record all of the albums, and I also score music for films, so I do all the music production here. The band comes here and does all the, you know, prep for touring and and recording of the albums here. When the pandemic happened and everything uh, shut down and we began to homeschool, the recording studio quickly got taken over 
by by <laughs> by the kids, and uh, so that there was a there was a, a plus and minus of having having the studio connected to home. The plus, obviously, being that I could always intimately connect my work with my family and just have one door that separates the two. Uh, the minus being that one door doesn't always block the sound of the joy or fury that's going on on the <laughs> other side wonderful of it. way to phrase that <laughs> so it, probably the first uh three months of the pandemic every recording i had had some sound of a child in the background even though i was out in the studio and they were in the main part of the house so oh, man we found this old uh amish cabin that was really beaten up that i'm sitting in right now it's not far from the house but i spent uh the spring and summer uh, remodeling it and getting it set to be a spot where I could come out to come to work and hmm. be a, a very, very short jog away from the family, but have my office be here. So, I mean, we've all been going through this together, this pandemic in different ways, obviously. And, um, you know, I don't have the exact same situation that you described, but this idea of you know, the children being on the other side of a door yeah. that may or may not close or actually work. Um, what have you learned from each other as a family while you've been hunkered down this last now year plus? That is a good question. I, I think for everybody uh, th that's been in this situation, uh, it, at least in talking to friends and, and colleagues and stuff uh, over Zoom or distanced in person um it feels like everybody could really give themselves a pat on the back more so than i i think a lot of people do because it's a huge feat to go from you know leaving your family eight hours eight ten hours a day or you know for those that travel a lot for work being gone for days or weeks at a time to suddenly being with your family you know sporadically on and off every few minutes for for over a year and yeah. that that's a huge growth curve for uh, humanity as a whole, cause given that that's a global population that's doing it. And I think um, we all need to give ourselves a little little boost of appreciation for how we've grown through that. And so I, I think our, our family as a whole, uh, not only us as parents, but our kids too have learned how to deal with mom and dad, seeing them go through their ups and downs and their, the stresses of their work days and not to just have mom and dad exclusively, like, uh, I'm home from work and I'm here and I'm all yours, but like, I'm here and I'm gone. I'm here. I'm gone. I'm, you know, physically here, but you need to know from my, the look in my eyes that I'm, I'm busy right now, you know? Hmm. So yeah, as everybody as a whole, I'm sure for, for you too, Tyler, that there's, yeah. there's just, it, maybe it changes how we, how we, uh, operate as families and jobs going forward. Yeah, there's a lot to think about on that topic. And I think in the context of family, everything just is zoomed in. I started saying that, you know, a week into the pandemic, and I still say it now. It's like, it really feels like the lens is just zoomed in on every every interaction, every everything. And that can be great. And that can be really hard. Well, you know, it's for us, it's more a contrast of, of uh, shutting down the touring lifestyle that we had. Because prior to all of this, uh, it, it's always been our, our, our intention to try and build our, our band um, in a way where it's friendly to the band members touring with their families and trying to figure out 
how to manifest that because it's incredibly complicated. Right. But, you know, so, so for us, the big contrast is that the kids have a really stable schedule right now. They know what every day looks like, you know, we, we, call it groundhog day because it's it's like that movie where you get the day over and over again and there's so much predictability there that they they didn't have before that because we've been uh in this uh groundhog day for long enough i think that everybody's uh uh sleeping rhythms their circadian rhythms are in sync so everybody kind of naturally wakes wakes up at at sunrise um and connie and i have come to realize that if we jump straight into the day at that point without getting grounded, we won't be the best parents that we can be. As the sun comes up over the hill, do a short meditation with that, and then go out and greet the day, which means telling the kids it's time to get off the devices and we're going to make breakfast. And we go get uh, fresh eggs from the hens who are happy to trade bacon grease for for eggs <laughs> <laughs> yes and we, we cook those up and have gratitude for what, the direct place that that came from and i we all start getting ready for our day at that point and i get ready to head out to the music studio and the kids all get ready for their school day with mom and i head out into the woods i usually do a two mile hike slash run and that is also big time meditation time Connie has a similar point that she takes in the afternoon where she takes self time away from the family. That point, those points in the day are so critical and it's taken us so many years to give ourselves space to do that. We've always felt like selfish. I I don't have time for this. I, you know, I I, want to be there for my family any possible minute and I want to do the best I possibly can with my work and, you know, going out and spending half an hour in the woods, like, <laughs> it's just, it's, yeah. it's felt selfish, but we've mm-hmm. come to recognize that in that time of really grounding, uh, it's just critical for us to get our roots deep in so that when we approach our work day or our day with the kids, that we have our heads really on straight and our priorities straight. And it's usually the woods that reminds me of all the little things that I'm fretting about, how they are ridiculously little and yeah. how thankful I am. It's amazing. I want to come over. It sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the pandemic has obviously been this like worldwide shared um, grief experience. The word grief comes up mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and I think grief is, is so strange and it's so rarely talked about. Um, It's something that you and your family know a lot about long before the pandemic. And so I thought, you know, as we get into telling the story of Caden here, that you might have some perspectives about grief that you could share um, just generally in this space we're in, where that word keeps coming up a lot, this worldwide shared collective grief that's happening. Yeah, it didn't really dawn on me. I don't know, maybe it was summertime or something. There was like a New York Times headline that said, that feeling that you're feeling, it's grief. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, totally makes sense. There's so yeah. much of our lives that we've had to give up, friendships and fam- you know, family and uh, 
And and that really really did make sense. I think one of the things that we as a culture oftentimes don't give ourselves space for healing, we are all giving up so much right now. Yeah. And so I'd love to hear you tell the story of of Caden and if you're willing to share just memories about his 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 birth and and his time on this this earth and leading into of course um his passing would that be okay? Sure. Okay. Yeah, uh Connie and I were living in Duluth at the time. Caden came to us uh, the uh, the evening of a of a huge blizzard, we just loved being parents, and so we we really were around him a lot, even even then, you know. And uh, so he was he was incredibly smart for his age. He was a little bookworm uh, mm-hmm. compared to our other three kids that we have now, who are all smart in their own ways too. Uh, he just he just always had a book in his hands. You know, if we went to a social gathering, a birthday party or something like that with him and his friends, he would just gravitate to the bookshelf, sit plunk down, and read books quietly. Uh, I had a little recording studio at home back then. The band wasn't really anything at the time, but he would he'd like to come in and and record his voice and and hear it played back. So I am really really fortunate to have. Uh, all these uh, high-quality recordings of his voice. And um, when he finally did leave, they were a huge asset to my grieving and, and healing process. Yeah. He was healthy in all ways, so his passing really just came out of nowhere, uh, where we went to bed um, one night, and when we woke up in the morning, he would, you know... There's just a shell there, and um, they, to this day, they've done all sorts of testing, and you know they did really thorough autopsies there afterwards to try and figure out what happened. They had to classify as unexplained. So for years we've had that mystery of of not knowing why. We were so lucky to have him come to us and not knowing why uh, why he left so early and so mysteriously. Yeah, I think it's, I've been thinking about you all um, a lot. My son is about to turn two, which mm-hmm. I think was roughly the age Caden was mm-hmm. when he passed. And um, it's just impossible to put from my perspective um, into words, this idea. There's, you know, there's a word for, for kid losing parents, orphan, adult that loses a partner is a widow, but we don't actually have a word for losing a child. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems just too hard and, and unimaginable to, to find words, but you've kind of had to over the years in these interviews you've done, which of course, or the music you've written, which of course has helped people a lot. How did you handle those first months and years after his death? Connie and I had him pretty young. And so most of our friends hadn't actually had kids yet. And so most of our support network wasn't familiar with what it was like to be a parent in the first place. After like a year or so, 
th- we, we noticed that our relationships were tapering off. People were kind of um, mm-hmm. <laughs> choosing not to hang out as often. And we, and we had friends that point blank, you know, said like, uh, uh, you know, I don't mean to do it. It's just every time I'm hanging out, you know, it's just kind of a downer. It comes up and mm-hmm. even if it doesn't, we're thinking about it and, and that makes sense, you know, uh, at that age, when you're in your, you know, mid twenties, you want to be out having fun and not be thinking about crazy things like that. And, yeah. uh, so we didn't have a, a very good support network there and it was rare to run into another parent that had gone through a loss like that. When we went to grieving counselors, it seemed like they were all kind of textbook counselors. They hadn't gone through that loss themselves and that, it just, it was a turn off and we yeah. couldn't stick with those counselors. And then we both grew up in a, in a pretty, pretty, like I said, conservative community. Uh, my family was very devoted Lutheran family. Uh, the church was a huge part of our family growing up and, and religion as a whole was a part of our family. It was hard to, to actually hear from members of the church things like, oh, I'm sorry, for where your son's at now and i remember thinking initially like i don't really understand what they're saying and then right. and then it being a little bit before connie and i realized like they're saying oh because we didn't baptize him i remember one of the one of the churches i asked the pastor he didn't know our background because we were new to the community and i said well just you know hypothetically speaking you know your kid um but you're not baptized and uh you end up dying like uh, where would that child be and and he was sitting in my living room and he point blank says, I'm, I'm that, that unfortunately would be in hell. This devastating loss tested Craig and Connie's relationship like it had never been tested before. In just a minute, we'll talk with Craig about how they eventually healed together and decided to have kids again. Thank you so much for listening to This Is My Family. Please hit follow wherever you listen to podcasts. So Connie and Craig felt more and more isolated as they grieved. Friends faded away. They couldn't rely on their church community anymore. And that incredible loss put some cracks in their relationship to each other, too. We were young when all of this happened. We both grieved in really different ways, kind of. At the time, it felt like they were really different ways. But retrospectively, I think they were had more commonality than we gave ourselves credit. But I think... We naturally, we naturally split apart, and that I think there was a certain amount of trying to create a totally different universe by being separate from each other in mm-hmm. order to forget that we were in that spot because it, it hurt so bad. Suddenly, it's a quiet household. You know, all the toys and everything are just, they, they're ghosts and there's there's smells that you don't ever want to go away and um but at the same time you want to run like hell cuz it hurts like hell maybe if we completely 
build new universes separate from each other. We won't be reminded of this pain every single day. I won't look at you as mom and think, oh, crap, you know, he's not here. I uh, just completely threw myself into music, went down into the basement and played recordings of his voice all the time just to feel like I was around him. And I just played music to try and separate that veil between here and there. And I felt like if I, if I did the music long enough, uh, that that veil would be gone and his voice in the room brought it all there and I could feel his spirit. And that that's the only place that I wanted to be. And for Connie, she needed human interaction and, and talking to other people and healing through that process. So mm-hmm. this crazy guy that's like listening to recordings nonstop down the basement, you know, um, I, I can understand. She, so she found her a, a cabin and a, a community that was very nurturing to her. And we both <laughs> ultimately grieved for the most part by ourselves in the middle of the woods for a, a long, long time until we ultimately uh, found our way back to each other. Mm. And what did that look like, getting back together? Oh, it was uh, it was hard work because we so effectively, efficiently um, escaped a certain level of grieving by separating from each other. So to suddenly bring that person back in, then we had to have the hard talks about how we were grieving, how we were healing. It just always felt like I was coming back to my best friend. It took a lot of work for us together to be really vulnerable and to gradually climb our way out of our personal hells and work our way back to each other and and rebuild that relationship to a point that we could look at each other in the eye and say, I'm ready. Do you want to be a mom again? I want to be a dad again. Let's do this. So you did have kids again. What was that decision like? And then, yeah, maybe just tell me a little bit about each of them. We knew prior to uh, making the decision to be parents again that we both were carrying a lot of PTSD. Our kids recognize, they know that their brother passed. They know that mom and dad are um, trying to wear that on our surface as much as possible. Grief is a lifelong process. And even at this point, we could choose to bury that and it'll come out sideways in not a healthy way. And our kids know that we try to remain uh, emotional beings because we want to deal with things as they arrive. And that also offers a blessing because when you feel like the the ground could fall out from you at any given moment, then you have all sorts of gratitude for the fact that the ground is there, period. I, I would love to hear a little bit about each of them and kind of what makes them distinct and, you know, just how they exist in, in your lives. Sure. Um, uh, Nova was the first. He was uh, born 11 years ago. Connie knew his name was Nova well before he was born, hmm. it being the rebirth of a star after the explosion of a prior star. So the nebula cloud is there, and then out of that comes another star. And and he certainly is. And there's so much to carry for him as a child to know 
that he is the eldest that is living, but the walls are still adorned with his older brother uh, that he never got to meet. When he was in kindergarten, started obsessing with uh, astronomy and, and p particularly the uh, Voyager probe. Um, this probe's mission is to leave the solar system and find out what's out there in the universe. Mm. And he was so devastated by that. But in retrospect, it's a, it's his own sort of story for the loss of his brother, you know, of what, him just being fixated and trying to figure out how to bring this thing back. And mm. why should it leave the solar system? Got to be a way to bring it back. And ultimately needing to surrender to the idea of it's all, he's out there now. With Iris, she's very imaginative. She's the, she's the dreamer child. Uh, she can disappear into all sorts of realities, and you can um, just start scratching the surface of where she is. Uh, she could be a painter. She could be a writer. She could be a musician. She's already writing her own songs. She's incredibly creative, and the sky's the limit as far as her imagination and her empathy. And she's also very strongly built with uh, empathy. Immediately there, if she sees somebody down, if she sees an animal hurt, you know, it's that, that, that kind of kid that will drop everything if something or someone is hurt. Mm. And that's Iris. Haven is, is three, so he's still trying to figure out his, his spot when you go to the store and he wants to choose clothes, you know, he's he's looking in the girls' section. He wants the 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 princess gown and the um he's got frozen running shoes and and so mm. you know there's something very feminine in him and very comfortable with that. If that is Haven's path, um, we just want to make him the most comfortable, beautiful being that he can be, and we're really trying to uh, create an environment that lets. Haven be whoever he needs to be, and also teaches Iris and Nova about that too. He also is just rich in empathy. Um, he's the king cuddler. I go to sleep with him at night, and he's just rub, 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 rubbing your shoulders and rubbing your arms. Oh man, I'm just like I'm I'm over here almost crying because I think that that um, experience that Haven is having is not the norm mm. for many children. And I just find it so, uh, profoundly beautiful the way that you just talked about that. Um, I'm curious though, how you, as a very spiritual person, how do you keep his memory uh, alive in your life? Mm. <clears throat> After he passed, I really started to gravitate towards the uh, law of thermodynamics and physics where um, energy um, cannot be created or de destroyed. It can only be transformed. Mm -hmm. And this idea that his presence and that time in our life was an energy force of its own and just abiding by one of the backbone principles of physics, even if you want to throw everything else to the side because we can argue left and right about different human-built religious practices or belief systems. But when it comes to a law of the universe that is a part of the universe, no matter where you go in the universe, uh, I feel, and Connie feels, that his energy is still there in some form. Physics also tells us that when you break down the basic form of energy, there is no space and there is no time. And in that sense, the time that 
we had together <clears throat> still exists. So in that sense, he's still here in my heart and he's still all around me. And it's my, my hope and goal as, as his father that I can, I can choose on a day to day and every, uh, as often as possible moment that he can be proud of me, that I can, mm. I can honor him and remember him by, uh, by trying to be as present as possible in this life right now because he doesn't have his life anymore but for some reason I still keep waking up every single day and I get another chance and the the initial doorway for me for that was that time in the basement where it was his voice and making music and feeling like my the ego my sense of self disappeared and I could feel I could feel his presence and then that sort of birthed into the the band itself of going on the stage every night and trying to use the music as a ceremony to get completely present. Um, so that hopefully by the end of the show, for me, the ritual was that if I didn't feel his spirit on stage next to me, I felt like I failed mm -hmm. as a musician. And it didn't really matter about the crowd because at that point we had no crowd. So <laughs> there wasn't anybody there anyway. But for me, going on, <laughs> on stage was a... a a ritual and ceremony to try and connect with Caden and to feel his presence. So I've, I've obviously been listening to your, your music for a, a really long time, but I do kind of experience it differently now as a parent. And, and so I'm just curious, how did writing music uh, change for you after losing Caden? Um, <clears throat> well, I found in high school that, that music was uh, a medicine that I was unaware of. I learned that talking about that spiritual sense of losing the ego or sense of self. And music was always the quickest way to do that, where I could just, I'd be gone. Uh, before Caden, it was already something that was sort of my antidepressant that I needed to have. And the band really wasn't, well, not really, the band wasn't established at all. We didn't have any kind of following. It wasn't a career. I had a full-time job as an environmental um, scientist working for a nonprofit, and music was something that I did on the side when Caden was here. And when he left, there was all the time in the world. You know, I could do my job during the day, and I could stay up all hours of the night and play his voice and play music. But uh, the I wrote a lot of songs during that period of time. In the first year, I wrote uh, over 100 songs, and most of them were garbage, so it's not like I'm patting myself on the back or anything. It's just like very prolific and constantly, you know, pen to paper kind of thing. Caden's voice was in a lot of it. From there, I guess, uh, there, you know, people started to be attracted to the band who had gone through similar kinds of losses and uh, or you know, you found the music um, helped them through different different types of grieving. Like even if people hadn't gone through a loss like that, sometimes we all just need to to grieve for a little bit, scream into yeah. a pillow, you know, in order to be able to smile coming out the other side. So your band is very much um, a family to you, I think, and and your your community too, your audience as well. That that word family, I think, and this is a show about how family exists for people. So mm -hmm. 
It's a very simple question, but how is a band like a family? Uh, we have a very special group of people in the band. Um, we're very, very careful about the different types of uh, personalities that we invited on board. Being in the entertainment industry, it can attract people uh, for the wrong reasons. Um, again, that's people that like that feeling of of music because it's cool or, you know, that whole, that whole stereotypical rock and roll because it's cool thing. The band members are all very, very humble people and vulnerable people. And so when we're on the road together, everybody's heart is on their sleeve. Like you would be as a family where you're not scared to share with your family member, like, Oh, that irritates me. Or I'm totally in love with that. Or, you know, every little thing that you feel in the current in your family that's buried when you're out in the everyday life. With a band where you're so close as friends and, and humble partakers in some kind of art form, yeah, you just kind of, you have a different sen sense of love like a really deep summer camp. <laughs> yeah. And you make music together, right, on the farm or elsewhere? I mean, you have historically made music together outside yep. or relatively close to where you are um <laughs> historically yeah yeah yep we started building the recording studio here a few years back and so it's gotten to be more and more the case of that they'll they're kind of sprinkled around the country a little bit more now but that we'll have intentional gatherings where they come out here and and we spend some family time mm -hmm. is there anything that i didn't ask you about your story and i know we we've talked about a lot of things yeah I would circle back to the PTSD, and I think mm -hmm. one of the uh, one of the things that I wish I could take, I wish I could extract the good part of that and turn it into like a a supplement to share with other people, where they didn't have to have the nasty part of that because there's plenty of nasty with that too. But the mm -hmm. good part of it, it with Connie and myself, as far as parenting and family is pretty much every day, you know, I can, I can, like this, this cabin that I'm sitting in right now, I can see it. I can, I can see it when the kids are all grown up and gone and that maybe I'm back in that studio or we're not even living here and this is all moved out. I can go in my studio now. I know how temporary those toys in the corner are, how frustrating it is to walk in and see that mess, but how, how, our time here is so short, ultimately, and our time as parents is going to go by so fast. And there's going to yeah. be that day when they're driving off to college. And and this is all a memory. And maybe the best memories that you'll, you'll ever have if you put the right intention into it right now. So as exhausting as it is as pandemic parents right now, like we're going to look back on these videos in fondness and and those are going to be the videos that we put a really nostalgic song to and cry over and think about those were the good old days. So I guess if I, if I was to, to part leaving anything, do your best to look at today like it will be a good old day that someday you look back on. And what do you have to do today to remember today as a good old day hmm. somewhere down the road? It's, it's, yeah. 
It's very beautiful. And I, I just, I, I've, I've said this to you before in person, and I will say this to you every time we are connected. I'm so incredibly grateful to you for your creativity and your family and everything that you've given to me, which I can't even really articulate in words. It's just that your music has been around for the past 10, 15, 12 years. I don't even know how many, a long time. It's been a soundtrack to, to my life. And so um, thank you for making the space to talk about your family and, and showing up today to chat with me. I can tell uh, just in the photos that you shared with me in the first few seconds of looking at your family that there's a lot of love and light there. So keep doing that good work. Thank you. I still can't believe I got to talk to Craig for that long. His music really has been the soundtrack to so many important moments in my life. I hope someday to watch him and Cloud Cult perform live again when it's safe to travel and get together. I'm incredibly grateful to you, Craig, for sharing your story. To be generous with the lessons you learn from grief is not something that a lot of people can do. There's a word Craig used when he described some of the darkest moments he and his wife went through after losing their firstborn child that stuck with me. Grace. I love that word. Knowing that he grew up Lutheran and is still a deeply spiritual person, I know that word means a lot. And when we face grief or loss or difficulty, it's such a simple but giant idea. Grace under pressure. Grace under fire. When I'm struggling with anything difficult, I hope I can channel Craig's wisdom, that I can live in the moment and be grateful for the mess and the noise of being a part of my family right now. Thanks to Craig Manoa for talking to me and for letting us use some of Cloud Cult's incredible music in this episode. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TIMF Show. Our website is TIMFshow.com. The show is a production of The Story Producer, and it's made by me, Katie Clarkson, Trisha Bobita, Jackie Ball, and B. Bosco. It is edited and mixed by Adam Yaffe, and our music is by Andrew Edwards. Social Current takes care of our social media and show administration. You can find them at Social Current, that's social, C-U-R-R-A-N-T. And last but certainly not least, our art director is my handsome husband, Ziwu Jo. If you like the show, I would love for you to give us five stars and write a review wherever you check out podcasts. Maybe it's Podchaser, maybe it's Apple, maybe it's Spotify. Just rate us and review us because truly, folks, I know you've heard this one million and one times. It really really does help. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Tyler Green, and until next time, stay beautiful and messy. Is the podcast all done, Sam?